Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Total SF Heather Knight and our book club episode. First of all, thank you for approving the choice of Charlie Jane Anders, even though she's a science fiction author and was 100% going to side with me on the greatness of Star Trek IV. Yes, her support of Star Trek IV aside, Charlie Jane Anders is a great Total SF book club pick. We had a lot of fun interviewing her outside of the Exploratorium to fit with the space theme of her book. And um, even though I'm not a huge sci-fi fan, I did love Victories Greater Than Death. Yeah, it's about Tina, a teenager on Earth who has a destiny in the stars. There's an escape, a spaceship, a group of brilliant teenage outcasts, an unstoppable evil, a guy with worms for a face. It has everything. It's a YA book in the young adult section, but as a middle-aged man, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I just like everything about Charlie Jane. Not only is she very talented herself, but she really helps promote other creative people in San Francisco. She's a huge supporter of other writers as well as independent bookstores, and you'll hear a lot about that in this episode. Yeah, and you'll hear a lot about that on Thursday, February 24th at 6 p.m. at the San Francisco Public Library. We're having our second live Total SF Book Club event at the library, and I had such a good time last time. It's such a good space. Yes, we'll be back with trivia and prizes and fun stuff. It's not a boring book club. This one is a very fun book club. You can also watch online if you're still nervous about the surge or just far away. You can um, zoom in and find all the details on sfpl.org slash events. We recorded on the Embarcadero, so we get some waterfront noise in this episode. Charlie Jane Anders is coming up. Live long and prosper. That's a Star Trek thing, Heather. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Charlie Jane Anders, welcome to Total SF and the Exploratorium. Yeah, it's so nice to be back here. I haven't been here in forever. Thank you so much for having me. This is just such a thrill, and I'm so grateful to y'all for featuring Victories Greater Than Death. It's, it's awesome. Well, we are so thrilled that um, you're part of the book club and um, so thrilled to be here. It's closed right now, but at the Exploratorium. You said you've been here before. Is this a place you like to go? I, I, I really love the Exploratorium. I haven't been in a few years. I mean, obviously, yeah. I haven't been a lot of places in a few years, but I, I just love the Exploratorium, like with all of the like, I don't know, it's, it's sort of a science museum, but it's also just got all this creativity and fun and weirdness. And I've been to some really amazing special events in the space over the years. Yeah, I've been going since the 70s in different phases. Like I went with the school field trips. It was sort of the original maker space. And then as a teen, 
uh, I would uh, uh, smoke weed and then go in the exploratorium <laughs> as people did. He mentions this in lots of episodes. And then now, now I have my own children, and we, That's uh, we, yeah, we enjoy it. It's a wonderful place. My kids I, will never get over the toilet bowl that is a drinking fountain and testing yourself. Like, will you drink water out of a toilet bowl, even if it's clean? Oh, it's just yeah. shaped like that. It's it's a good test. Yeah, I, I definitely went to the Exploratorium a couple of times as a kid when I was visiting San Francisco, and I remember just being blown away by, like, how cool and, like, giant and, you know, full of interesting stuff it was. And, Have yeah. you ever seen the cow, cow eyeball dissection? <sighs> that sounds familiar, but I don't think so. Maybe... Peter's sure. been hyping this as something everybody should do in 2022. Is it like they, they do it with a live cow, like not live, but like with a fresh cow eyeball? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's, I definitely have not seen that. I got to do a story about it because I got to know where they're getting the cow eyeballs. They've been doing this since the 70s. I was a little kid here and I saw the cow eyeball dissection and it's still going on. Yeah, I told my sons about it and they're like, we've already done that. You were busy doing something else and daddy took us because... We knew you would. <laughs> I was like, "Good call." <laughs> wow! Yeah, it does sound really gross, but very, very instructional and super interesting. And man, so uh, we're loving your book, "Victories Yay! Greater Than Death." Oh my god! Thank you. <laughs> um, and it's the first of a trilogy. The next one is "Dreams Bigger Than Heartbreak." Is that that's, right? That's and right. it's going to be out in April. At which point, you will have four books out in a twelve-month period, which is just insane. That is actually kind of hard to wrap my brain around. It definitely feels like it's been kind of just nonstop with like just trying to like keep the plates spinning and stuff and like, you know, finishing the third book of the trilogy, which has been like its own, you know, whole challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, being prolific or, or having the appearance of being prolific is kind of tough. And these are all books filled with complex characters and world building. And how did you even pull this off like how did it come to be that you wrote so many books in such a short time I mean so you know I kind of cheated in some ways like of the three books that came out in 2021 one was victories greater than death the other two were a little bit different one was a collection of my short stories which I had been writing they go back to like 2006 or something and like you know they're they go back to like when I was first in San Francisco in the literary scene you know showing up at like queer literary events like Kvetch and reading my weird stuff mm-hmm. and like so so that was not a book that I wrote in a in a short period of time it was a book I wrote over like 15-20 years oh, wow. uh, but then you know and then the other book I came out in 2021 was actually a book of essays about creative writing uh, called Never Say You Can't Survive and it was kind of like perfect timing I guess I decided to write a book about how you can use creative writing to get through really hard scary difficult challenging times Mm. and you know I didn't even realize when I started on that project how appropriate it was going to be to the times we've been living through and so you know I wrote that bisky during 2020 and it was actually kind of a life raft for me to be able to like every week write an essay about like you can do it you can be okay you can you can take care of yourself and you can be creative during this horrible time Mm -hmm. I was kind of reassuring myself as much as anybody else I feel like but yeah world building is like it's always a fun challenge because you know there's always like the kind of kind of very cardboardy static version of world building that feels fake and you can kind of tell it's fake and there's also the kind of world building that's just like oh I'm going to lift this from Star Wars and this from you know Star Trek and this from Marvel comics or whatever and like I'll just like change them a little bit and nobody will notice and those are both really unsatisfying and to come up with stuff that isn't kind of like 
very clearly like a painted backdrop and also isn't just like a complete rehash of stuff we've seen before is, you know, it's, it's a special kind of challenge that I really enjoy, but it's also sometimes really frustrating mm -hmm. because you, you have to keep going back and adding more layers or it just it doesn't feel like it's alive. You well, know? I usually don't like sci-fi, but I'm loving this book, so you did something right. Yay! <laughs> Yeah, this, the second fight we're going to get in later is going to be over Star Trek IV. It'll come up. It always comes up at some point. <laughs> oh my gosh, Star Trek IV is like a quintessential San Francisco movie. Thank you. You're on Peter's side on this. Movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, now I need to go rewatch it. I've tried to watch it twice and haven't been able to make it. It's oh going to be the third time's going to be it for you, Heather. Um, you, you've mentioned you you visited San Francisco. I, I think of you and I think of San Francisco because you've been so supportive. Aww for the writing community here and for independent bookstores and I associate you with the city. Um, You're going to make me cry. Don't cry. Don't cry yet. We're, we're only like okay. 10 minutes in. Um, <laughs> when did you first come here? Do you remember your first impressions of the oh city? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was really little. I can't even remember when I first came here. Um, I've always had family in the Bay Area. Like, um, and... You know, my, my grandma and a bunch of my cousins lived down in Palo Alto, so we would come to San Francisco and hang out at, up here and go down there and hang out with them. And, um, yeah, I just always thought San Francisco was this, like, really cool place. I feel like my big memory of coming to San Francisco before I lived here was I was a teenager. Um, I think I was probably, like, 15 or 16, and we stayed at a hotel, like, near Union Square, which meant that I ended up just basically wandering into the Tenderloin, as you do. Um, but I've always thought of San Francisco as a, as a magical place in part because of all the, like, alternative culture here, but also all the Asian culture that's here. That was one reason I always wanted to live here, is because I felt like it had this wonderful blend of, like, geek culture and alternative culture and a lot of a lot of Asian people who've come here over the years and built really cool stuff. I'm going to really push an analogy here, but there's, there's um, in Victories, there's all these characters who are teens, who are brilliant, who for various reasons don't fit in on Earth or are having some struggles, and then they get on this spaceship and just thrive. And I'm wondering if you felt that way when you were young. Did you feel like you didn't fit in? And here's where I push the analogy, is San Francisco your spaceship? I would say yes and yes. I mean, well, I definitely... Good analogy. Yeah, it was really good. Nailed and like, it. I definitely <laughs> feel like I blossomed when I came to San Francisco in a bunch of ways. And I also, you know, I mean, when I was a little kid, I had a really severe learning disability. I've talked about this a lot. And I, you know, I was pretty, I think I was pretty visibly queer. But I, and I'm also very, very geeky, but really bad at school, which is a bad combination. And um, I got bullied a lot, I got picked on a lot, which is why bullying tends to show up in a lot of my books, including Victories Greater Than Death. It's like a thing that I keep coming back to, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like I definitely was that odd duck. And it wasn't, you know, I always have to kind of emphasize that I wasn't a weirdo because I'm trans, I was just trans and a weirdo. Mm. And I felt like even once I was like coming out as a trans person, I still didn't really feel like I was understood or accepted elsewhere. And then I came to San Francisco, it was like immediately, like at the time there was still the Cacophony Society. There were all these like things happening that were so colorful and strange and like just exciting. And it, I just felt immediately at home. And I felt like, okay, this is where I should have been the whole time. And I wish I'd moved here earlier, to be honest. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you came here? Oh man, um, I don't want to like give away my age, but uh, <laughs> 
I moved here in 99. Oh, me too. And, and you were about right then too, huh? I was in my late 20s, so. Yeah, we're all in the same boat. I, and I grew up on the peninsula, but, um, but I was in uh, LA for four years and then moved back in 99. So that was 99 a was a good year for San Francisco. I know, you know, and you know, it feels like I've been here forever. And it's so funny because like if I, when I moved here in 99, a lot of people would have told me that like I missed the boat and San Francisco was already finished. And that everybody you know, always says that. Yeah. I know they always do. They do always say that. And like, you know, that no, con- no, con- no further contributions could be made to San Francisco. <laughs> well, after the I think the you threw in them wrong. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we're doing our best here. We're doing our best. Um, well, we know you as a writer, but also as an outspoken mentor for other writers, and wondered if you had a good mentor who kind of led you to want to mentor other writers. Yeah, I mean, I did. Um, I mean, I mentioned I had the learning disability when I was a little kid, and I had a, a special education teacher who really just, like, she worked so hard to help me, and, like, a part of what she did to help me was to make me to kind of harness all of the creativity I was already kind of like tapping into because basically when I was like at school, all I would do is get lost in my own daydreams and like my own imaginations of like going off in a spaceship and like being in outer space, like the characters in my book. And she kind of harnessed that and used it to help me cope with school. And like, she was like, okay, if you can master basic schoolwork, we're gonna, you're gonna write a play and we're gonna get it performed at school. And that was like, I think third or fourth grade we did that. And that was super cool. Maybe it was second grade. It was second grade, I think. Hmm. And she just like, she would find these little creative projects that I could do while I was also getting better at being able to do the, the boring school stuff that I, that I just couldn't handle because of my learning disability. What inspires you as a writer? Oh, man. I mean, I feel like lately the, the thing that I am inspired by that I think about a lot is sort of community. Like, I feel like even more than... In the past, I'm really convinced that like coming together and building strong communities is what's going to keep us from just sliding into the abyss. And so the real life communities that I get to be a part of, like communities of writers, the communities of queer people, the communities of book lovers, of like, you know, of San Francisco people, those really sustain me and inspire me. And I try to bring that into my writing by writing about like chosen families and about communities that kind of form around different things. Mm-hmm. Well, our, our book club is co-sponsored by Green Apple Books and the San Francisco Public Library. And I'm wondering, libraries and indie bookstores, how did that part shape you? Were you were you going to those places as a kid? I mean, I the public library definitely meant a lot to me when I was a little kid. I just have all these memories of my dad basically dropping me off at the public library or when I was a little older, me going there by myself and just like sitting there for hours like you know just like i just in a trance almost like just reading and looking at stuff and like just poking around and just feeling like this was a really cool space one of the things that i kept saying like during the pandemic when we were all you know doing fundraisers and trying to help save our indie bookstores here in the bay area one thing i kept saying is that it's not just about like it's not just about like supporting authors and books and stuff because yeah it's true that indie bookstores do a lot to promote authors and to like 
get people, help people discover authors they didn't already know about. And that, you know, the book industry and the book community and the world of authors really depends on bookstores in a lot of ways. It's not just that, it's our, it's our neighborhoods, it's our communities. And like, you know, I feel like a neighborhood without a bookstore is kind of a sad neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a neighborhood with a bookstore has this kind of focal point where everybody can hang out and where they can go hear authors, but they can also just go find interesting reads. And like, I just feel like a neighborhood that has a really nice bookstore in it just has a different feeling to it. Like, like Noe Valley, now that Folio Books is there, feels like a very different place than before Folio Books. Like, this is part of what I love about this city. I feel like one of the things I brag about to outsiders is that we have more indie bookstores per square mile, I feel like, than pretty much any place else I've been. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back after this short break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I would really love to get back to doing the bookstore and chocolate crawl soon. Ooh. That's a thing that I really want to go back to doing. Which bookstore we would join and chocolate you. crawl. What? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> let's do it. Record scratch. What, what, <laughs> tell us about the bookstore and chocolate crawl. Yeah, so this is a thing. Um, I organized the first one single-handedly back in 2012. And it was, honestly, it was a lot of work and I was really overwhelmed. And I just couldn't, didn't have the spoons to do it again for a while. Um, so I ended up organizing it regularly with a group of friends, especially Maggie Tokuda, Tokuda Hall and uh, Jackie Risley. Um, and um, basically what it is, is you get like as many people as will show up. We've generally had about 100 people. I think most people have ever had is 150. And you gather and you just walk around going f to, from bookstore to bookstore. And while you're walking to different bookstores, you eat chocolate. And sometimes we build in stops where you stop at a chocolate shop and get some chocolate. We often will just go and buy a bunch of chocolate to, to bring with us so that people have chocolate. But it's just basically like eat chocolate and go to bookstores. And like um, Maggie made these gorgeous signs that we could carry, which have like little slogans about like indie bookstores and why we love them as much as we love chocolate. <laughs> and until the pandemic happened, we were doing it like I think three times a year, every four months, like, oh, wow. like clockwork. And we had kind of settled into a groove where Instead of like the first one I did was very kind of just like overly ambitious. It started at Green Apple in the Richmond and ended up in the mission. And we basically went down through the Castro and Hate and Hate and Castro and ended up in the mission. That was probably too much to ask people to walk. But so now we do like one neighborhood at a time. And so like we would do like basically like the mission. And there's so many great bookstores in the mission. You, you can just like you could spend a day visiting the bookstores in the mission. And so we just did that. We just went down Valencia Street and down 24th Street, hit as many bookstores as we could. And um, and we did like the East Bay. And so that was a really fun event that would like, when you get like a hundred people to go into a bookstore and you really encourage them to come out with books, it's like, don't come out empty handed yeah. guys, you know, and um, folks, let me see guys, but don't come out empty handed folks. People would just come out with armfuls of books. And I know that people found new best friends in the bookstore and chocolate oh. crawl. Nice. Podcast told us it's a sin to go to an independent bookstore and not buy anything. Yeah. I mean, 
that would be dangerous for me because I'm in them all the time. But I do buy books and invent bookstores as often as I can. Like, um, well, Victories is filled with aliens who have flaws, but there's a utopian element. Everyone introduces themselves with their pronouns. Consent is important. Who do you think can learn most from this book, a YA audience or adults? Man, that's such a great question. I mean, you know, obviously you don't write a book hoping that people, that you're going to like be didactic or whatever, but I feel like the thing that I've, like, I feel like a lot of teenagers who have read the book seem to take stuff like, I, I don't want to get in trouble by like impugning anybody, but I feel like teenagers maybe have, have grown up with a little bit more awareness mm -hmm. of like consent and bodily autonomy and like getting somebody's pronouns right being mm -hmm. important. And I feel like a lot of adults are kind of maybe struggling with those concepts a little bit more because they, they didn't grow up with them maybe. I feel like my hope is that, you know, people of all ages will read the book and come away with a feeling of like, this is how it should be in terms of like, we're going to make sure we get people's pronouns right. Mm -hmm. And we're going to make sure that we don't touch people without consent. Mm -hmm. Those seem like very basic things to me that like, you know, they're almost like safety features. You're on a spaceship in the middle of nowhere and yeah. like you're traveling, you're hurtling through space and like any mistake could be fatal. So we better make sure that we respect each other's bodily autonomy mm -hmm. and pronouns because, you know, any mistake could be bad. Mm -hmm. So we better not make mistakes. And like, it just, it feels like, it's like a personal safety thing, but it's also just like making people feel safe makes everybody safer, kind of, in a way, I guess. Um, as a City Hall columnist, I enjoyed the politics in the book. And there's a race of slug-like aliens who only allow members to serve in government during pregnancy because they're more inclined to think about the future. And I was wondering if we can do that for the mayor and board of supervisors. <laughs> I mean, I actually, you know, it's funny. I kind of thought there's a lot of stuff where I came up with it and I was like, this is a funny notion. And like, I'm just going to include this because it seems like a cool detail. But I do actually think that, you know, there's, there might be something to that, like the idea that like, like we could at least experiment with having a system of government where only pregnant people can serve in government, partly because you got automatic term limits, like the term <laughs> limits are built right in. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not going to have career politicians unless somebody, I don't even, I'm not even going to finish that sentence. <laughs> um, you're not going to have career politicians. Term limits are built right in. And, um, you know, I feel like it could be, definitely couldn't be worse than what we have now True. in a lot of ways yeah well you've survived our serious questions and now it's time for the lightning round yay <laughs> awesome where's your favorite place in san francisco to get a burrito oh my god you know i'm gonna say papalote i really love papalote that's becoming a very popular answer yeah it's you know i just really love i love their grilled tofu burrito cool what's your favorite movie filmed in san francisco Wow. Well, we were just talking about it, so I'm going to have to say Star Trek IV. <laughs> uh, the Voyage bump. Home. Fist no fist bumps. Bumps. Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? To get a stiff drink. Oh, my gosh. You know, I am... God, I haven't had a stiff drink in so long. It's very sad. I'm going to say... Um, I'm, like, having a brain fart. The one that's actually next to Booksmith. Uh, what's it even called now? What's it called? Oh, the Alembic. Right. Okay, okay sorry. Alembic, We're just going to pretend yeah. that that didn't happen, and you just asked me the question, and I'm like, Alembic! Because I really I love the drinks at Alembic. They do the best Sazerac I've ever had, Ooh. and they have some beautiful, beautiful cocktails. And now they're, like, kind of part of Booksmith. So yeah. I feel like as a bookstore lover, I especially have to stand them. Cool. Uh, what was your first concert? My first concert? Man, I'm not even sure. 
Like the first concert that I really remember was I saw Prince live in 1993. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And I waited out all night for tickets because I thought that was what you're supposed to do for concerts. Like I literally camped out all night. I was actually, it was weirder than that. I was volunteering at a homeless shelter, at a battered women's shelter. And like, I like left as soon as my shift ended and ran to where they were selling tickets to the Prince concert and sat out there all night for the rest of the night. Wow. And um, was it worth it? It was definitely worth it. It was not, it, he was touring on his symbol album. So it was not like, he played a lot of songs that were like not my favorite songs, but it was still, That's when he was he's like so mad, electrifying. He was like mad at his old music. So he probably wasn't playing a ton. He, no, he definitely Rain. played some of his older songs, but yeah. it was definitely like, there was a whole hour of songs from like the symbol album, which does contain sexy MF. So it's, it's got some gems in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what was the last book you read? The last book I read uh, was The Unbroken by C.L. Clark. It's a really, really awesome fantasy novel about imperialism and about kind of like, kind of decolonizing yourself in a way. Um, you have a really long list of awards you've won, but the coolest sounding one to me is the Emperor Norton Award. What is that? Yeah, the Emperor Norton Award, it's, it's a local San Francisco thing. It's an award for extraordinary creativity under, unhindered by the constraints of paltry reason. I think it's <laughs> and the who gives spiel. the Emperor Norton Award? I can't actually tell you who is in charge of giving out that award or if it still exists or not. Yeah. I feel like it just was a thing. I think it's people in the science fiction community. He- Heather, and I, Heather and I really want an Emperor Norton Award, so we're yeah. going to start writing science fiction. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm not... I was recently googled because i was like are they still giving it out and i couldn't find any recent stuff about it so i think it may have it may have kind of gone away peter this is a lightning question for you if you could either be win the emperor norton award or be sainted by the sisters of perpetual indulgence which would you pick impossible to pick Um, oh my god i think i think being sainted only because I think that's probably a better after party, <laughs> but it's it's a tie. Oh yeah, no. We would I w- take any either one if anybody. I, I would. God, I never even thought about that. Would be amazing to be sainted by the sisters. They're so they're so incredible. Do you think there is life on other planets? I mean, life definitely. Um, do I think that there's like civilizations on other planets? I sure hope so. I mean, I feel like. There's all sorts of possible explanations for why we haven't been able to find, you know, intelligent, organized, you know, life on other planets. Um, But I really hope we do find it. And I hope that, or I hope it finds us. And I hope that we can become part of something greater than just this one planet eventually. Yeah. And billionaires have been funding trips into space. It's kind of becoming a trend lately. Would you like to go on one of those trips? You know, I think I would have to ask myself, what would be the value of me going into space other than like my own personal gratification? And like, I would have to really have a, a compelling reason beyond just like, I, I want the thrill of like having been to space mm-hmm. because I feel like it's, it's, it's incredibly like expensive and incredibly like, it's not great for the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I would really have, there would have to be some reason beyond just like cool points for me to want to do that. Yeah. And last question, what is one thing you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Taking a long walk in San Francisco. Like, I, I just, I can't do anything else if I haven't taken a long walk. Yeah. Like, and I just love walking around the city. And those, those holes are actually really, really good. Good for, for your like, cardio. Yeah, they're really good <laughs> cardio, going up and down those hills. We Great. Do, we do too. We, yes. we bike and walk everywhere. So. 
Um, well, thank you so much for meeting us here outside the Exploratorium, and we look forward to talking to you more. Everybody should sign up 6 p.m. February 24th at the Corette Auditorium in the main library, and you can register on sfpl.org slash events. So everybody should do that. Yay! <laughs> Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod.